springs to mind when I say the words 2.4 children to you? An average family unit? What about a 90s sitcom about a family? No? Does this ring any bells? Yes, that family, the Porters. You might remember or have been told that it was just an average and predictable family sitcom. But throw in some realism, pathos, dark humour, spiritualism and surreal plot lines, including cursed chain letters, poisonous cobras, the accidental killing of neighbours' pets, a cryogenically frozen father-in-law and believing Dracula had moved in next door, to name but a few, the Porter family, as well as the sitcom, were far from average. Join me, J.D. Collins, and 2.4 Children fans, and Andrew Marshall, the creator of the series, who provide memories of working on his classic series in Don't Slam Your Podcast, now available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. to the next episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive, or Saddle for short. My name is Alison Barton-Simmons. Now then, I'm Ex Benedict. We are in the middle of deep diving the second series of the 1980s cult classic, Dear John. We are. We're in the penultimate episode, in fact, of all the Dear Johns, aren't we, this week? We are. Series 2, episode 6. So we've got one more to come that's a, that's a bumper. A bumper edition, is that right? Bumper Christmas special, yeah. Oh, exciting. 1987. Mm. Uh, but this one was the last one, effectively, of Series 2, before that Christmas special. And it was broadcast on 12th of October, 1987. And it attracted 13 million viewers, which was the most of Series 2. I, I did. I took a look at why that might be. Because, you know, I'm always intrigued as to how these things work. Mm. Um, as to why this was the most watched episode in the second series. But I couldn't find anything. And it was, when I looked on, there's like a part of the BBC website where you can look at ratings and you mm. can look at listings from, from those times. But on the day that this was shown, it was half of the, the, the listings were blanked out and you couldn't see what was on. It, it wasn't even available to, to sort of view as part of the listings. Oh, how 1984. No. The Thought Police are, um, are in action, aren't they? It made me uncomfortable. It had been redacted. It, it was like it had been redacted, as it if it was redacted. like some secret, some secret TV show that you weren't like supposed to watch. Like the Sue Cook report, or whatever it's called. <laughs> not, not Sue Cook. Not Sue Cook. Roger Cook. Do you mean Roger Cook? No, the one who's doing the reporting to all the parties at lockdown. Sue. All right. Um, Sue something, isn't it? Sue Gray. Sue Gray. Yeah, not Sue. Cook. So not Roger Cook. Not Sue Cook. Sue Gray. I might as well say now, Sue Cook's pulled out. To quote Alan Partridge. <laughs> Not Sue Cook. Got to opus. If there's a way for me to get it wrong, I'll get it wrong. It's all right. Indeed. You're amongst friends, Ben. It's fine. It's fine. So this episode is called Once Bitten, and we see John in a bit of a predicament. That's all I'm saying at this stage. Yeah. Ooh. Hashtag different times. Indeed. But if you want to watch this episode before you listen to us dissect it, 
then I did get word that uh, I'd got word through my contacts. <laughs> I got yeah, I got my I got it from uh, that that journalist at the Sun who who was going on about love rats last week. <laughs> I got word that Forces TV are re-showing Dear John very soon. Oh, that's good. But if you wish to uh, watch it immediately this moment, you could join our Facebook group where we we post the videos in their entirety until Zuckerberg stops us doing that. Now, last week, it was it occurred to us after we'd finished recording the episode that we didn't nominate an MVP, did we, Al? We didn't for, for the last episode, yeah. And do you know what, though? I tried to rack my brain as to who I was going to choose. So I'm going mm. to sit back and let you go first, if that's all right. Well, I was tempted to give it to Maggie. Okay. Because she was turning the screw on Ken, making him get the old vasectomy, wasn't she, last week? She was. And she was enjoying it, and I couldn't blame her for that. Mm. But then I had a think, and I thought, actually, what Maggie should be doing is giving him his P45, like Liz did to John, and not shagging him anymore, so he doesn't even need a vasectomy. That's it, isn't it? She could have, yeah. Left him. She could have done that, yeah. So I've changed my mind, and I'm giving it to Ralph. Okay. What was your your reason for Ralph? A couple of things. He identified himself as a bit of a player, didn't he? Because he was... uh, Yeah, he did. He's a disc jockey, and he has his own motorcycle combination. But also for that line, be gentle with me, what? That was a brilliant line, well delivered by Peter Denyer. I am gonna, I'm gonna go with Ralph as well. My my choices were, I think Sylvia was on my list again. Yeah, but I think for the same reason, be gentle with my what was one of my favourite lines across the whole of the two series that we've watched so far. Just because it was so underplayed by Peter Denyer, it was so underplayed and you could have missed it, I suppose. If you were just watching it without a laughter track, you could have mm. completely missed it. But I thought it was brilliant and well delivered. So, yes, I will join you there with, with Ralph. He's, he's a bit of a late uh, dark horse in this MVP race, Ralph. Late bloomer, he's had a few yeah. lately, yeah. Okay. And I think he's got some great lines in this one, so you never know. He might, he might win yeah. another one today. Now, most series of Sado... Uh, previously we've done The Good Life and Faulty Towers, if you weren't aware. We uh, have a look at some anagrams that we can create from the characters' names and the actors' names who are in the show, don't we? We do, and it's it's, it's led to um, great hilarity in the past because sometimes they are so on the nose. It's unbelievable. There's some names here that don't really lend themselves to anagrams, like John Lacey. Mm. All I could get for John Lacey was Aki Jen Low. Okay. Which just made me think of Jennifer Lopez being a bit achy. Yeah. I just thought I'd mention that one, but not very much else. Ralph Drink was very difficult to anagramize. <laughs> the best I could get was Ralph Grind. <laughs> which is what he does when he's doing his dazzling Darren. He has a little grind behind the, behind the wheels. <laughs> but I had more joy with Kirk St. Moritz. Uh, Kirk Zitstorm. Right. That maybe could have been his nickname at school if it wasn't Big Ears, mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when he was having acne problems. Uh, and for Eric Morris, we've got Isis Mirror, right. Micro Riser, <laughs> and I Rim Scorer. Well, what goes on behind closed doors? That's more appropriate for Kirk, really, for his alter ego. He would, be, he would be so embarrassed. He wouldn't He wouldn't know what, what to do. And then moving on. <laughs> yeah, move 
<laughs> Moving on swiftly from those ones. <laughs> what do you say to that? Yeah, Belinda Lang is a is a name that lends itself to uh, anagrams. We've got anal bind gel. Oh, we didn't move that swiftly on. No, inland bagel, and uh, my favourite deal nil bang. Deal nil bang. Which, obviously, yeah. as a character, was frigid. That's quite yeah. appropriate. It is. We would have used uh, Kate, but we don't know Kate's surname. And what what can no. you do with Kate? Take. That's about it. That's it. <laughs> Teak. Peter Denyer. We've got some good ones for Peter Denyer. Prey entered. Ooh. Terry Deepen. That sounds like a porn name. It does, doesn't it? Ye Pretender. Ye pretender. Oh. Yeah, it's like an accusation. Ye pretender. Isn't it? Yeah. Deep reentry. That's like a porn title. <laughs> it is a porn title. Yep. <laughs> and um, a a good one, Peter Ye Nerd. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, very apt for um like the character he plays again. And a brilliant one for Rachel Bell for me to finish on here is uh, well we've got Herbal Cell, which doesn't okay. mean much, but a brilliant one. Ball Letcher. Ball Letcher. That's that's cool. I like that. What about the ballroom? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and you had a look, I think, didn't you, to see if you could find any uh, Peter Blake and Ralph Bates ones? I did. It, it, there wasn't a whole host of, of, uh, of answers. Uh, there were lots of word sort of soups, word salads of just like a collection of words. But the ones that sort of stuck out to me for Ralph Bates were the brass lap. Oh, yeah, I like it. And this one helps at bar, which I helps thought was at bar. yeah. So like after the meetings, when yeah. they're all chatting away with a pint, the sort of meeting carries on, doesn't it? So he helps at the bar. He helps at the bar. Yeah, that's mm. a, that's quite good. Um, the only one I got for Peter Blake that was my other one that I, um, I had a quick look at. Talk beeper was the only was the only one that stood out to me as being of any relevance. It's a bit like John Cleese, isn't he? He's an unanagrammable unanagrammable yeah. name. Yeah. Talk beeper. I just while we're talking, because I realise we forgot him, I've just looked up Will Bates. It's remiss of us seeing as he give us the time to talk to us. Yep. And Did you look up Will Bates or Toby Lacey? Will Bates. White balls. All right. Yeah. Nothing special. Sorry, Will. There we go. So, shall we get stuck into this episode after uh, exhausting all of those anagrams and coming up quite lame, wasn't it, really? There wasn't many good ones there. <laughs> yes, I'm all, I'm all worded out now, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, let's take a deep dive into the episode Once Bitten. Let's go. Dear John Dear John By the time Open up this episode in the pub. So we're at the end of a, a meeting and they've all gone to the pub afterwards. And Sylvia seems to be doing 
Ralph's astrological chart. Have we had any indication previously that this is what Sylvia's into, that she's into, like, astrology? Yes, I'm pretty sure that John said at one point that it was a load of old rubbish. Okay. To her. So it's not been played on heavily, but yes, we do know that, that that is what she's into. Okay. So she sat doing all sorts of like drawings and, and writing out and, and she's, she's got, she's really into it, isn't she? She's got a real knowledge of, of, of how it all works. And Ralph, Ralph's telling Sylvia about his uncle, who was an amateur astronomer. Who saw, and this is, this, this was quite a really strong opening scene, I thought, for, for Ralph. Hmm. He's talking about his uncle, who was an am- anima- amateur, sorry, amateur astronomer. You could say like animatronic pro- then. Animatronic. <laughs> who saw a prophecy of doom in the stars and was committed after sending loads of letters to the Prime Minister, warning of a calamity of worldwide proportions. Mm. And then he sort of like let slip again afterwards that two weeks later the war started and his hospital got a direct hit. So obviously, Ralph really does dwell on the fact that his family are, have got such bad luck and I think he struggles with that part of his history and he clings on to it a little bit, doesn't he? Yes, because there was that episode dedicated to the whole notion, wasn't there, of his bad luck? Yeah. Did you notice here, though, that Ralph says that the uncle was committed on the advice of the postmaster general? Yeah, was it just because of the amount of letters that, he, that he'd been writing? Well, I assume so, <laughs> but could we not have consulted a fucking doctor first? <laughs> yeah, yes. Take advice from the experts, not your postman. And then Sylvia says, it's such a shame when someone goes mad. <laughs> yeah. Different times. Different times. It's a bugger when someone goes fucking bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I noticed as well, just as a as an aside here, Sylvia's de- this is where Sylvia's definitely become one of the main players in the, the, the sort of big five actors that are in Dear John. Yes. She's be- become less of a bit part. I think, is that with Kate? sort of disappearing off as she sort of stepped into that role, do you think? I don't know if it coincided. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know if if there was a scheduling problem or she was actually written out, yeah. yeah. Ralph shows Sylvia what we think is a photo of the uncle that he's talking about and she remarks what a fine-looking man he was. But it turns out that the the photo is of Ralph's Polish ex-wife. Blomlika, yeah. Exactly. We find out she was a riveter in a Gdansk shipyard. Um, but I was a bit confused here as to why he was showing her that picture at that moment. Because I did assume it was the uncle. I think he just found it in the wallet and he was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. And here's a picture of my ex-wife who was a riveter in, in Gdansk. Yeah, and he said, oh, I didn't know I had this. Look, oh, here right, she okay. is. And then they obviously all suspect that it's a bloke. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of misunderstandings around this photograph. Bit of trivia for you. In okay. Dear John US, there's an episode where Blomlika returns and Ralph Drang yeah. gets his second chance of happiness with Blomlika. <gasps> wow. Oh, that's 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 drawn me in. You know what? That's that's drawn me in to, to want to To want to have a look. To want to have a look, yeah. Well we we said we'd deep dive one of them. Why don't we seek that one out and deep dive that one? Because that I'd might be like interesting. That. Yeah, mm. I think I would be really interested to see that. There's a plan. Right, there we go. Put a pin in that. We'll do that. Ralph goes over to help John with the drinks, who's at the bar. And Louise comes over to Sylvia and she's looking quite flustered and cross at this stage. Mm. She tells Sylvia that George, so George from a previous episode, is Sylvia's ex-husband, who she describes as a transvestite. Mm. 
he's just popped into the community centre after the meeting to ask if Sylvia wants a lift home. And Louise is quite agitated by this as he was wearing a dress, high heels, a crocodile skin shoulder bag and makeup. And she's like visibly sort of shaken, isn't she? Very annoyed, isn't she? And, and, mm. I'm, and I'm getting annoyed at her. I was. But then the punchline reveals there's a good reason for there it. There is a good reason. So Sylvia reiterates that he is a transvestite, Louise. Hashtag different times. But she asks Sylvia to tell George never to come into the community centre ever again unless it's an emergency. So like you, my back was up at this stage. I'm thinking, mm. right, remove all the MVPs from Louise because she's just a, a shit. Sylvia's response does, however, attempt to put Louise in a place and she says, well, George is a member of the community and he's got every right to use the centre, which is correct, but it turns out that Louise is only miffed because George was wearing the same dress as her <laughs> and the pleb of a caretaker thought he was Louise's twin sister. Brilliant. I thought that was an ace joke and it landed really well. I thought it was fab. Do you think that he wore it better than Louise? Do you think that was the real she issue? She gutted, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Looked better than she did. Men can be such brutes. This next bit threw me a little bit because Sylvia then panics about George coming into the pub, which almost like reneges on the speech that she just gave to Louise about George being able to go wherever he wants. He's a, he's a member of the community. He can go wherever he wants. Yeah. I, I'm a bit confused by why George is picking her up anyway if, the, if he's yeah. the ex. Yeah. I don't know. It's a bit, yeah. I think it's all obviously played for laughs and jokes. Perhaps we're not supposed to look into it too, too deeply. No, nobody nobody thought that 36 years later, two idiots would be sat there. Exactly, exactly. Ralph is showing John this photograph now, the one of um, his ex-wife. And again, there's confusion over who's who, because there's one of, one of the people in the picture has got a moustache. And, <laughs> and Ralph tries to explain that that's not his ex-wife. Yes, it's her brother, isn't it? Louise is watching Sylvia do the astrological chart at the table and and Sylvia tells Ralph, it's not looking good. This is not looking good. Pluto is in the ascendancy. (laughs) I've never heard such poppycock. (laughs) You even told that plank creature, Kirk St Moritz, that he may suffer a deeply disturbing experience. I mean, how would that genetic stew know it was a disturbance? <laughs> I only said it would happen. Genetic stew. It's a horrendous way to describe someone. Yeah, she's definitely very raved Tory, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> John, John's, oh, he's, he's, he's in his element at the moment. He's, he comes over with drinks. Um, he's got champagne. Um, and he's celebrating that everything in his life is coming good, which to me, there's just alarm bells going off left, right and centre there. As yeah. soon as John's in life's a sitcom, going good. Yeah. Well, in any sitcom, if things are going well, it's just a set up for things to fall apart, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. He's, he's got his name at the top of the shortlist of three for the head teacher job at the school. He's had a tax rebate from the Inland Revenue. So, you know, it's all coming up rosy for, um, for, for John. Do you know what he is, Al? Go on. Cock a hoop. He is cock-a-hoop. I've not heard that for ages. He is cock-a-hoop. Is this my Sun Journalist diction coming through again? It is, yeah. Have you got like a, a, the Sun headline generator? He is. He's cock-a-hoop. Sylvia suggests that she told him this, though, a few weeks ago when she did his chart. Venus is now in the fifth house, which controls his love life. So John's exceedingly happy about that because he can see sort of romance on the horizon in that case. I didn't know if Sylvia's flirting with John again here. Or even Louise, because Louise gives John a sort of like 
a look. All right, okay. I thought maybe they both think they've got a chance with John because Pluto's in the ascendancy. Yes, of course. <laughs> Quite funny though when Ralph just sort of looks away and goes, "Bloody Pluto." <laughs> <laughs> Venus has moved into the fifth house, which controls romantic relationships. It seems your love life could be primed for something rather exciting. <laughs> Bloody Pluto. Sometimes it's Ralph's reactions rather than what he says, isn't it? It's the reaction to other stuff that makes him really funny, a really funny character. Yes, he is a good reactor. Kirk arrives and he's very flustered. Um, he's had a, apparently he's had a deeply disturbing experience and he almost got run over by the ugliest chick ever. Sylvia asks if he was in a, if this woman was in a Montego and it turns out it was George. Oh. oh what I did dear. like about this though is that uh, he nearly got run over. He said, "So I went round the front of the car, you know, just to beat up the driver." <laughs> Honestly, oh dear me! It deserved a bigger laugh that though, didn't you think? It did. Uh, yeah, it did. Sylvia makes her excuses now when she leaves because she knows that George is waiting for her. Kirk says the chick's claws were awful as well. So, so Louise leaves because she's really embarrassed, <laughs> having having been dressed in the same outfit as George. Sylvia asks her to not be rude to George about his clothes. She said she won't, but she just wants to ask him where he got his crocodile skin shoulder bag from. Fair enough. I like that. Kirk insults Ralph's family when he sees the photo. Of the, so the, the photo's out again, isn't it? It's, it's just been left on the table. And while right. Kirk's going on about this ugly woman in the car, he says, well, yeah. I take it back. Because he sees this, he sees a picture of Blomlika and he says, what yeah. is that? Oh, poor Ralph. I bet he wishes he's not, never bothered. Yes, yeah. Well, to be honest, Kirk gets his comeuppance because he, he loses his lift home on yes, he does. Ralph's motorcycle combination because he likens Blomlika to Charles Bronson. <laughs> Picture a big, like, massive moustache. Yeah, it didn't go down well with Ralph at oh. all. In fact, he actually audibly gasps in, in disgust at Kirk. And I thought, good on you, Ralph, stick up for yourself. Yeah, too right. Boogaloo. <laughs> so John's still left in the pub um, and he finds himself a seat and, and a woman comes over. We've never seen this character before. She comes over and says hello to him. Um, we find out this is Karen, hmm. played by Elizabeth Morton. She looked really familiar, and I, I googled who she was, but there was nothing that stood out to me as to why I'd know who she was. She's married to Peter, Peter Davison. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I don't know her from... I didn't think she was very good, if I'm brutally honest. I didn't think her acting was up to par in this. And I, I couldn't pitch how old she was, or... You and John both. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't pitch, I couldn't put her at... Even, even, even with the punchline of the of the actual t- the episode, it was hard to picture what sort of age she was she was supposed to be playing. They've met previously, apparently, at a disco. John doesn't remember because he was drunk, and they danced and talked about life, and and John had sort of divulged things about himself. He offers her some champagne, and they have a bit of a drink together, and then he looks up and thanks Venus in the same way that he often looks up and thanks God for the good things that happened to him. He, he really does yes, yeah. place emphasis on external bodies for making his life good. Yes, true. Which is very very interesting. John brags about playing squash in uni when she says that she's been out playing squash tonight with some friends from work. She's a hairdresser, we find out. 
And she says, well, if you can teach me squash so I can play better, I'll do something with your hair. <laughs> yeah, ap- apropos nothing, because nobody had mentioned John's hair. It was just, no. a, it was almost like a little dig saying, you know, do you know you look like Roy Cropper? I can sort that out for you. <laughs> I can sort that out for you, exactly. So we cut straight to the squash court then. John and um, Karen are on the squash court. John is being totally thrashed. It's embarrassing to watch, actually, isn't it? It made me feel really uncomfortable watching him try and... He was all sweaty and knackered and... Yeah, he was a mess. And to be be honest, much as we love Ralph Bates, his diving around the court wasn't very convincing, was it? No, (laughs) no. If if that was supposed to be like a first date, it was... Oh, it was really uncomfortable. But she thinks that he's letting her win in order to sort of be be nice. Mm. Uh, But then he trips up and falls... And Karen says, well, I've warmed up enough now. Should we start the match? And he's, he's like, nearly falling apart, isn't he? Well, to be fair, squash is, um, is a common killer of middle-aged men, isn't it? Because yeah, apparently it's it's horrible. nothing gets the heart going to the extent it does. Didn't Leonard Rossiter... Um, did he did he have a heart attack after... No, no he died Playing in the theatre. He, he was a real squash fanatic. All he right. played all the time. And he ended up having a heart check for some reason, maybe because he had an episode like John. And they said, oh, no, you're fine. And then not long after, he died of a heart attack. So he wasn't at all fine. So let's not blame squash necessarily for that. But all no. I'll say is that squash squash can be a killer for middle-aged men, definitely. It contributes. Yeah, because it's, it, it, it's such an exhausting game, the way you throw yourself about. I think people do it thinking, well, it's only like a really sh- small space. I don't have to do much running about. I don't have to, but it is, it's exhausting playing, playing squash. Yeah. I mean, last time I played it, which was a long time ago now, my muscles didn't recover for two weeks or no. something. It was awful. We now cut to the school and the head teacher is talking to a sea of what appeared to be very grey teachers. Very grey, that room. Mm. Everybody had a grey suit on. Not very green, very grey. Not very green, very grey. Oh, apart from John. John's still there in his mustard slash rust-coloured jacket. So he, so he stands out, doesn't he? He stands out as being a bit different. He also stands out because he's lolling around as if he's at home on his own couch. <laughs> Everyone else is standing, like, stood there sort of with a semblance of respect for this head teacher. Yeah. And he's lying around as if, he, you know, as if he's just scratching his balls watching Corrie at home. I think John thinks he's got it in the bag, though. He thinks his life's in the bag. That's why. Yes, maybe. He's... he's He's all chilled out. He's volunteered to take on the work of the sportsmaster who's going in for an operation. He's obviously hoping that stepping up will go in his favour, I suppose, of of getting Mm. the head's job. The head then tells John that the job is his. So everything that John's been hoping for is sort of coming up. It's coming up roses, isn't it? He's, He's got the job. But then Ken turns up, bloody Ken, calls John a bootlicker for taking on these extra, extra, this extra role. John divulges that he's actually been given the job. And Kenny's actually happy for him, which I was I was surprised at. I thought Ken would have been like, Yeah. Oh, why why are you bothering doing that? And been all scared and horrible about it. Well he, yeah, he redeems himself briefly, but it doesn't take long before he yeah. becomes an absolute gobshite again, does it? Yeah. He admits to Ken that he's taken on the job of the um, the PE master because he wants to tone up and get fit for Karen. Mm. And he tells Ken about plain squash. And having a funny turn. We didn't see the funny turn, did we? We didn't see the funny turn happen. No. But apparently the, during the squash match, he'd got a funny colour and had to go to A&E. Mm. Oh, I get it. It's this 23-year-old girl you met the other week. No, it isn't. Well, not entirely. Look, if I tell you something, will you swear it won't go any further? 
Well, you know me. Yeah, that's why I'm insisting that you swear. <laughs> Last night, I took Karen to the sports centre to play squash, and, well, during the game, I, I kind of went a strange colour. What sort of colour? Well, somewhere between pillar box red and aubergine. <laughs> Karen panicked and, and phoned for the ambulance, and, well, I felt fine. Well, why didn't you tell him you felt fine? Because I was having a bit of trouble talking. <laughs> anyway, the reason I'm so tired this morning is I spent the whole of last night in the cardiac unit at the local hospital. And the hospital is where he was advised to get fit. Yeah, there was, what, the lack of oxygen in his bloodstream or something, but, but basically yeah. he's, he's got the all clear, hasn't he? So taking on this extra, extra role and the job that, it, that it'll have him being more active, he's hoping this is going to keep sort of Karen by his side. Yes. Ken advises John off Karen, but then asks if she's got any friends. So again, he's, he's, yeah. he's interested. He's wanting a bit of what's going on for John, but doesn't want John to have anything like that. He's always sniffing around the funny, isn't he? <laughs> he's, he Ken. Is. he's a type of guy you can imagine saying, if there's grass on the pitch, do you know what I mean? Oh, As a teacher, yeah. he's that type of like lecherous, horrible old middle-aged prick. Yeah, dirty bugger. She's having a party and has asked John to bring some friends. So Ken's desperate to get in there. He's desperate to get to this party. And John pretends to ring Karen to ask her if Ken can go along. However, he actually rings Maggie, Ken's wife, and then puts Ken on the line. And it's awful because then he's got to try and backtrack out of wanting to go to this young woman's party. In front of his wife. I like the fact that John stitched him up. I really like that. Yeah. Because when Ken took the phone, he obviously thought it was Karen on the other end. Yeah. And he went, hello. Like sort of Leslie Phillips ding dong type. Yeah. Type of thing. It was horrible. And yeah, it was Maggie. And we can can actually hear Maggie in the way that you could in a lot of 70s and 80s things where there was like an irate woman on the other end of a line. You just hear sort of like, squeak, 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 (laughs) squeak. Yeah. Just like that. (laughs) You're a lunatic person. They should put you home for fruitcase people. Oh, so we're out on the sports field now, and Johnny's running with the boys. He's obviously taken up the 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 job of the sportsmaster, um, and he meets up with um, your archetypal sports mistress. Oh yeah, right ball breaker, wasn't she? Oh, she was. Yeah, um, she's got a bone to pick with John. She says that when she and the girls passed John's languages classroom recently, someone had written "bum" across the blackboard. Hmm. John says, well, at least he'd not written blackboard across his bum. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine getting so upset about that, someone writing bum on a black. Compare that to these what guys. What an odd thing to do, How yeah. tame is that? I know she's quite jolly hockey sticks and female sports mom, this woman, but yeah. get a life, woman. Yeah. You know, it's out of other people's business. Actually, it doesn't even say bum. It says baum, which is German for tree. Yes, that's right, yeah. You're wrong. John's quite savage with her. He says something about if we... What does he say? It's a good idea, Miss Culper. If I got rid of everything that looked disgusting, I wouldn't be here talking to you. <laughs> Very cutting. Very. The girls from, from the sports mistress's class all file past and say, Good morning, sir. Until Karen appears and says, See you at eight. <laughs> oh no so right so John just says yeah 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 absentmindedly obviously not thinking that Karen is actually in one of the classes in his school it's a double take situation oh. wasn't it it was like the guy from Laurel and Hardy you know he always did yeah. the double take the realisation when it dawns on his face 
that she's one of his students in school. The school of which he's going to become the head teacher of. Oh my god! You can you, you could see his life <laughs> just like flashing before his eyes. Yeah, <laughs> he's in a bad way, isn't he, poor John? Oh dear. So we cut back to the staff room now, and Ken's still on the phone explaining to Maggie about the party. And when John gets back inside, um, and he John looks at this stage like he's having a heart attack. He looks like he's he's going to cark it. I think, yeah. At this at this stage with that news, uh, he explains to Ken that Karen. He's on the hockey team and he's a pupil at the school. Ken loves this though. He revels in it. Well, he's he's quite onto. Well, first of all, he doesn't. He's he's slow on the uptake for for a yeah. teacher, for someone who should be quite smart. And then once he gets what's going on, he's pretty unsympathetic until he it becomes transparent that there's something in it for him. Because if he helps John and John becomes head, then John will help Ken yes. in his capacity as his boss. Absolutely, he needs. He could. He could do with having having John as the head to support him. Yes. Ken tries to find some dirt on Karen to help John at this stage, um, and he rings the records department of the school. Ken tells John that she's twelve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is an absolute. Oh my god! You can see his, his life doubly flashing before his eyes at that stage. But she's not really. She's actually going to be eighteen next month. John agrees to get Karen out of his life right now. And Ken summons her to the staff room in order to sort of like, you know, grasp the nettle. Of all places? I, I mean, why couldn't they do something more discreet? You wouldn't summon her to a staff room, would you, where all the teachers could walk in at any moment? Really different times, isn't it? It turns out that the disco that John met her at was a school disco. Oh, God. Karen comes into the office and she kisses John when she sees him. And John says that he didn't realise that she was a, a pupil. He calls her a pupil mm. and she refers to herself as a student, making that sort of difference between being a kid and being like a young adult. It's not, it doesn't matter, though. In, the, in a school setting, it does not matter. No, not at all. But she is, I guess, what we would now refer to after the success of the sitcom as an in-betweener. Yes, she is. She's not. What, what's that song? She's a girl, not yet a woman. Yes, so she, so we're not talking little kids. It's it's a it's a very grey area. This and I know in in school there's no such thing as a grey area, but this is a very grey area. Yes, she actually works at the hairdressers as a Saturday girl. She lives with her parents um, in in a flat that she told John about. But her dad wants to meet him. I d- I don't understand. I didn't understand that. Does does dad not know that John's like nearly forty? We presume that he does know. That and therefore wants to meet him to know to batter him. what his intentions are, maybe. Oh, God, right, okay. I'm not sure. Um, she, he might not know that he's the teacher, mm. but clearly she's gone home and told him that she's met this wonderful guy, and he's like, hmm, let's, let's find out more about this. Okay. There's a Bruce Forsyth reference here. There is a Bruce Forsyth reference, yeah. Well, he says that I've, I've got fillings that are older than you, which I thought was a really, really cool line. I like that. Karen thinks that the age difference doesn't matter anymore and uses Bruce Forsyth as an example of someone that's married a younger woman. Karen says, they're really happy. But John says, yeah, but look what he did to his hair. <laughs> he never stopped wearing a wig, did he? He always had a toupee on, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. We never saw him without his hair. No, like, like Wogan. I always thought on Children in Need. Yeah. Children in Need was crap wasn't it to watch it was just awfully yeah. boring television to watch because comic relief at least in the 80s was something that as a kid i remember going oh i wonder what's going to be on comic relief i mean yeah. nowadays it's fucking dreadful don't get me wrong but it is dreadful yeah but it, but it didn't used to be but i always used to think to liven it up 
because we're going to just like stumble around the audience just having inane interviews with people. It would be really yeah. good if someone just said, Terry, I will give you 200 notes if you take that syrup off right now on national TV. Yeah. You know, because you never saw Wogan or Brucey without their, without their wigs, did you? I wouldn't know what Wogan looked like without his hair. In fact, I'm, quite, I'm still quite shocked that that wasn't his hair. So that was quite a convincing toupee. Uh, well, I don't know. Does it look convincing on Mulligan and O'Hare? Because it's the same bloody <laughs> same is. hair, isn't it? Oh, dear. I'm feeling sorry for John at this point, though, are you? I am. He's, 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 oh, he's, he's made a, a bad decision, and I, I, I feel bad because he was so hopeful and thinking that, that everything was, was going well for him, and it suddenly all come crashing down on him again. It has, yeah. And now, now she's upset because he's saying this can't go on. Yeah. And I suppose, objectively, we should feel sorry for her as well. But her reaction is just sort of like a sulky girl rather than a woman, which is, mm. what, which is what she is, of course. She is still a girl. And so I'm not feeling that sorry for her. I mean, she's trying to cling to, we could do something together. We'll grow old. And then when you're older, we'll go for walks slowly. <laughs> oh. Did you notice that the weird little skip from Karen as she leaves the room? She storms off out of the room. But you know the way the actors, they always have the blocking before they shoot the scenes? Yeah. It, to me, it looked like she was in the wrong spot for a blocking. Oh, right. Okay. So she did this little skip as if she was jumping over a dog turd or something. It was weird. <laughs> Go back and look at it. It's just bizarre. She does this little right. jump as if like, oh, I can't stand there. <laughs> okay, right. She's like stood on the tape and, and it's not supposed to. Right, okay. Well, she leaves She leaves the room and we don't see Karen again then, do we? John's in the classroom then, wiping the board and the head walks in. Mm. Smoking! Smoking a pipe! Yeah. Karen's mum and dad have written a letter of complaint about John. About him keeping her out all night. I'm guessing there's probably more to it than just keeping her out all night that they cross about. John explains that um, she was actually waiting in the hospital for him uh, because he had a funny turn at squash, and he's not really perplexed by this. He just seems to have an answer for every everything everything that the head can throw at him. Very calm, isn't he? He's got a reasonable explanation. Yeah, yeah. John tries to explain it all the way, and he's doing he's doing like a pretty decent job. But the authorities have decided to put John, being the head of the school, on ice. But he can try again in three years. So that's oh. So not only has he lost this this new love interest, the the his, his his job that he really wanted is now further and further out of reach. And the head does put to John, what would what would you do if it was a member of your staff? Hmm. And they behead in the same way. It's going to go to the board of inquiry. So just drop it. There's nothing nothing else we can do. John accepts that. It was like a nice. It was a nice conversation between two responsible adults. I know that that's like I know. not what yeah. really what you're looking for in the sitcom, particularly. But I just like the fact that the teacher was able, the head teacher was able to say, "Put yourself in my position. What would you do?" Yeah. And then John went, "Yeah, fair enough." Do you think that was like the equivalent of um, sort of acknowledging that it had happened and it had been played for laughs? But let's be serious now. This this can't happen. We can't let this happen. So mm. let's just put an end to that happening there well i just like the realism of it i mean you, yeah. you know you, you, so many sitcoms of of the 70s 80s and 90s in particular there were scenarios and we've seen it in faulty towers haven't we where it was like why are they doing this yeah <laughs> why if they just didn't do just that it, it, it wouldn't be a problem yeah 
exactly. You know, it, it's the nature of farce, particularly. Mm. But uh, in this instance, it was just like he put his side, he put his side, and they sort of agreed that there was no other way forward, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, that suits me though. I'm quite. I was quite happy with that outcome. That that's all tied up in a neat ball. Put that away. I feel bad for John. Yeah, but he's not on a register, is he? That's the main thing. He's not. On, he's not have to sign anything. Um, he's a mum and dad are probably gonna, you know, be all right with the fact that he's not gonna be the head teacher of the school, and yeah, it'll all be okay. We end this this episode with Sylvia, John, Kirk, Ralph, and Louise all chatting about John's situation in the pub. Sylvia blames herself for not ringing John to warn him about Neptune influ- influencing his sign. She said that there was turbulence. She'd seen all this happening. She'd seen it all playing out. <laughs> Bless her. I like that, though, because she says it's all Neptune's doing. And John goes, what a rotter. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Bloody Neptune. John scoffs and Ralph says not to because after Sylvia warned him about Pluto, he was attacked by a corgi that nipped his ankle on his motorcycle combination and it almost proved fatal. His mum, who was in the sidecar, nearly ended up in the foyer of a CNA. <laughs> Which I thought was a brilliant image. And the group all fall about laughing and the episode ends. It was a bit of a... Schnorf, um, th- schnorf. I think the cat's ending, it was. They all laughed and then it finished. Yeah. At the thought of Ralph and his mum dead in the entrance hall of a, of a CNA. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. Hey, did you spot the bit, though, where the head teacher, just in the scene prior to that, said that Karen had had been in a similar situation with another teacher at the previous school. Yeah, the science master. Yeah. What is the female equivalent? No, what is the male equivalent of a cougar? Because she's like a cougar chaser, but a... a coo- so a cougar is an older woman. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google it. Cougar, male equivalent. Yeah. There's a dilf. A mantha. A mantha, a mantha. Is, is the male version of a cougar or a middle-aged woman who has the hots for younger men. Manthers are older men who pursue partners significantly younger than them. That's not right either, then, is it? But what about the? It's a female equivalent of a, like a younger cougar. Do you mean the woman, a younger woman, and not an older man? She was chasing a mantha, I guess. She was, but is there a name for for that? Yeah, I don't know. Sugar daddy. He's the sugar daddy. No, he's the sugar daddy. But what's she? According to the Urban Dictionary, the male version of the cougar is a rhino. What? I don't know what she is. Well, hold on. Let me find out more about this. A rhino. Why? According to the website's definition of the Urban Dictionary, it is because the specimen is more often than not both horny and ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Wrinkly. Grey. Yep. That's a bit harsh on John. Don't think he's a yeah. rhino. No. Is that what you were looking for, though? Or were you looking for the, the equivalent of a younger cougar? I don't know what to Google to find out that. What is a young cougar? Hold on. What do you call a young cougar? So that's a self for a joke. Mm-hmm. Right, I've accidentally typed in cigar instead. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a young cigar? Cigarilla. Uh, puma? What's a puma? Oh, this is... Jesus, this is a whole world that we don't know. It's like when I found a out all about, all about bears and things in the gay world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pumas are said to be women... Women under 40 prefer younger men. Young, oh, right, so it's just a younger cougar, that, isn't so that's it? that's not it. It's like a reverse cougar. What's a reverse cougar? 
Well, that'll be the Mantha, won't it? No, in reverse, as in an older, a younger woman with an old... Oh, no. Oh, forget it, Al. Forget it. I don't know. I'm all confused now. I'm, yeah. There's a whole array of safari park animals here that I, I didn't realise had any reference to, to anything else. Oh, well, no, no, here we go. Here we go. I was going to say forget it because my head's spinning, but here we go. Ready? Yep. Cougar, a woman, woman in her 40s who dates younger men. Jaguar, a woman 50 plus who likes younger men. Kitten, a woman with an older man. So this this will be what right. what what's her name is, won't it? Karen, Karen the kitten. Karen the kitten. Then we've got Panther, a woman who likes older men. Rhino, an older man looking for a younger woman, which isn't what John is, but is what Ken is. Okay. And then finally, we've got Trout, <laughs> which is Gail Platt. No, uh, which is um, older man looking for a younger woman. Okay. God, this is a very comprehensive web website. <laughs> What website is that? <laughs> Cyberdefinitions.com. They've got examples. Melanie is a right puma. You need some puma loving, bro. Always saying that, me. <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> Karen the kitten, right. She's a kitten. We've put that to bed now. Okay. I wonder how much older Peter Davison is than her. What was her name again? Who, Karen the kitten? Yeah, the actress. You got it written down. Um, she was called Elizabeth Morton. Right. Well, Peter Davidson is 72 and Elizabeth Morton is 61. Is she? So, yeah, she's from Liverpool. So, she is a kitten to his mantha. She is. She's a, a, a Doctor Who kitten. That's the old pervy fifth Doctor. He's Doctor Who, he's Doctor Who, isn't he? Well, he was. He isn't anymore. The Doctor, sorry. The nice people. Yes, that's all the more reason to say it. <laughs> Mr. Who. Doctor Who. Right, anyway, we've gone way off. We are, yeah. Let's let's circle back. Have you got any bric-a-brac? I have got bric-a-brac. I've got an array of bric-a-brac. Oh, okay, I've got a couple as well. You go first then. Some physical, some verbal, as as per usual. My first bric-a-brac is the wooden squash rackets. Right. Which I liked. The I, I remember there being a, a random wooden squash racket in our cupboard nobody played squash in our family so i don't know why we had it but i do remember fondly there being some kind of wooden squash racket the head teacher's gown that he swanned round in i've got that yeah the head headmaster's cloak i've put but yeah same. yeah he, he looked like the head teacher from viz that's the only time that i ever <laughs> see a head teacher wearing a gown anymore is in viz and he had the same mustache as well as the as the head teacher from Viz. And he was totally disinterested because of his impending retirement. Yeah. He was just like, oh, we've, we're missing a computer. Well, I don't, couldn't give a shit. I'm retiring anyway. Yeah, you sorted out. Not bothered. Not bothered. We've got two more. One's a physical, one's a verbal. The, the physical one was the poster in the um, staff room of education, cuts don't heal, which is still relevant 30-odd years on. Yeah, still find that very much. Very interesting that even, even then... It was it was still bad news. Go on, what do you think's my my verbal? Can I have an outside line, please? Oh, it wasn't. No, no, no. I like that. <laughs> yeah, because that's what uh, John says when he decides he's going yes, to he phone does. Karen, isn't it? Is it Karen? His yeah. Friend? He, he picks up the phone. Says, "Can I have an outside line, please?" Because nobody oh. had thought of the idea of pressing nine. Absolutely. My first job, I had to ask for an outside line. It was in a, in a newspaper office, and having to ask for them to to get me an outside line. Hmm. Forgot all about that. It's in the realm of jobs that have been lost to machines, isn't it? I mean, operators yes. were always busy because people would just pick up the phone and say, "Operator, here's the number I wish to dial." Yeah. You know, not needed anymore. 
my, my final one, which is a verbal one, was the with the reference to CNA. Yeah. Just because it, it it conjures up memories. However, we as I mentioned last week, we've just come back from Spain. CNA is still prevalent in the Spanish mainland. It's like it's like we're scared of um, CNA's lawyers getting onto us. <laughs> for describing them as a relic of the 80s. We want to make absolutely clear to CNA and their army of litigious professionals yeah. that we know they're still going strong in mainland Spain. They are. They are. And it was it was nice to walk around. There was no, I couldn't, there was no sort of clock house or anything like that that I remember from um, my childhood. I don't know. It's one of them things that when, when I see it, it just gives me thought, like fuzzy, fuzzy warm memories of... of, mm. of Yesteryear, yesteryear. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a job for the sun. I know. Go on. So what were yours? What were your uh, oh, cracks for this we've week? We've covered them. Yeah, yeah. Have we? Have we got them all? The outside line and the headmaster's cloak, yeah. I've got an MVP. Have you got an MVP? Because we forgot last week. So let's make sure we do it this week. I have got an MVP. Did you Did you know that we got a complaint about missing the MVP? No. <laughs> Given that the episode was all about people getting riled up about the most like trivial things, oh. they did word it friendly, but of they course. just wanted to point out that that we'd forgotten to do an MVP. Attention to detail. I like it though that people that are, that that want to listen to this podcast have such attention to detail. I like it. It's our kind of people because we might have forgotten otherwise, <laughs> and it would have skewed the results. Indeed. Thank you so much. So go on. Who was your MVP then for this week? John. All right, okay. Principally for stitching up Ken the shithouse. Okay. I liked the fact that he basically phoned Maggie and dropped him in the shit. Okay. And also, I mean, he did the right thing. He didn't know. None of it was his fault. He wasn't culpable. And he was very grown up when he was told by the head that, you know, tough shit, you'll have to wait three years. That's true. He 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 took his sort of... Um, Medicine? No, <laughs> I could do with doing that. He took it. He, he, the hand that had been dealt him in the end, he took it as a yes, he did. Just as a as a as a as a thing that he had to just do. Although he had a hand like a foot, as my nan used to say. Whenever <laughs> I like that. Whenever I dealt her a Brilliant. hand, I've got a hand like a foot. Excellent. My MVP this week was Sylvia. Well, you're quite fond of her now, aren't I'm you? I'm quite fond. Oh, I've gone. I've honestly, I've done a 180 on Sylvia. The fact that she's appearing more, obviously, seeing her more in the episodes and interacting with the other characters, um, I quite like the way that that she's been written. I like how she's she's a useful a useful member of the group, despite the fact that nobody believes in the astrological charts that she's creating for people. She's trying to be helpful. She's only doing it to be helpful and to be supportive and give people some kind of hope and. He's just trying to be a good friend. And the way that she deals with the fact that there's an issue with, with her ex-husband, mm. that's like an an underlying thing that she just she's just cool about. And she's... I, I, yeah, I do. I do quite like Sylvia. Yeah, I think she's nice. Yes. Shall we have a look at the fashion in more detail? Let's do that. Whatever happened to clothes It seems we never wear those clothes no more. Fashion cold. 
So there's, there's an array of mum blazers on display from the ladies of Dear John this week. Uh, Louise has a... Sorry, no. Louise slash George has a mum blazer with... a. It's like a, bl- a black collar. It's, it's blue predominantly in colour with a black collar and puffs and large polka dot design all over it. Um, it's a, like a it's like a lilac-y powder blue colour and it's been teamed with a black camisole top underneath and, and the, the chunky gold jewellery that we see on display week in, week out at the moment. Karen, when she's in the pub early on in the episode, she's got like a white blazer with black stripes. We see her later on in school in like a lilac tracksuit top, I think as well. Looks like something that you would have got from like the clothing company or the sweater shop, that kind of 80s high street fashion. John, on the other hand, is not very well decked out at all in his burgundy shit tracksuit. Sweaty. He's very sweaty yeah. and that colour shows up sweat. Even in his, like, his squash gear, very sweaty. He's a very sweaty man, isn't he? Sylvia, when she's busy doing the astrological charts later on in the episode, she's in like a beige and white spotty dress. She always dresses quite, she's quite feminine looking, isn't she, Sylvia? She um, is, and, yeah. and the, the, the clothing that she wears is quite feminine. It's got capped sleeves and she's got like a matching hair ribbon as well, which is very, very sweet. Kirk, in this episode, isn't wearing his black shirt with his white jacket suit. Saturday Night Fever look. It's the red shirt this week, which I always, I always think, oh, he, he looks like more dressed. It's like a more dressed up version of, of Kirk rather than mm. having just a black shirt on with his white suit. The red just seems to elevate the look for me. And of course, it's like open neck, um, medallion and all that and all that jazz. So, yeah, that's that's it from me for the white for playing squash. They were more like the tennis, whites. tennis whites, weren't they? Yeah. I don't know what you wear. What do you wear for squash? In my experience, and I played squash in the 80s as a kid with my dad. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, he might have well gone down the Leonard Rossiter route if we carried on playing. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think he was getting in a bad way with it. Yeah, in my experience, people just wore what they want. Like, it wasn't yeah. a, It wasn't a, like a, you need to wear your whites thing. So I was just surprised to see them all in white. But I don't know, maybe it was a thing. Maybe it is a thing. I don't know. Maybe it was just you rocking up in your own clothes and you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Like that kid in... PE who always comes in just the wrong gear and gets away with it. There's always one in there. He doesn't quite have the right kit. Yeah, but nobody says anything because uh, t- to me, it doesn't matter, does it? As long as you're taking part, does it matter what you've got on? No, but you you know, PE teachers are notoriously um, overgrown school bullies a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. Sorry if you're yeah. a PE teacher listening to this, but uh, our PE teacher, certainly. I think I've told you about him nicknaming me Wilfred, haven't I? <laughs> why was why Wilfred? What was, just just jogging my memory. Because I was a uh, on my first day, well, not, maybe not my first day at school, but my very first PE lesson at secondary school, I was sat in the gym. I had no friends at that point because it was, you know, new. New school, yeah. Sat on my own waiting for the, the teachers to come in. A lot of all more raucous boys were sort of running around. And I was just sat next to this trampoline. And as I was bored, I just started sort of like just playing with the chains on the trampoline. And he clocked me doing this. And as he come in, he was like this big Welsh guy. And he went, all right, Wilfred, stop playing with your chains. And then called me Wilfred for like, about six months after that, to the amusement of, you know, everyone in the school. Yeah. Dick. So next week's episode, Al. <laughs> yes. Is the the Christmas special. This one is called Kate, Kate Returns. Oh. And uh, in it, 
Kate returns. <laughs> right, there we go. It does yeah. what it says. Does she turn does she turn up with anyone? Does she bring anyone back with her from Greece? I can't remember, but um I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say Eric Morris makes a reappearance in this one. Yes. I knew you'd be happy with yes, that. Yes, I am happy with that. While you were talking there, I entered Mrs. Lemensky into the anagram generator. Do you want to know what it said? I do. Mr. Silk Seaman. God. Anyway, enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on to this last episode of Dear John, we're actually going to do something rather special next week. Instead of our usual episode uh, and the final episode of Dear John, next week is going to be a special episode because we'll be interviewing Belinda Lang, who obviously played Kate in Dear John and... That's very exciting and a very special episode you won't want to miss out on. I'm sure you agree, Al. Oh, I can't wait. So, yes. So, make sure you join us for that one next week. I'll see thee. Bye. <laughs> to Sylvia. By the time you read this life, I'll be gone. Life goes on. Love's last song, dear John.